Welcome back to Unchain. I'm John Lasher, Executive Director of Partners in Health in Sierra Leone. Thanks for joining us as we continue to explore the past, present, and future of mental health care in Sierra Leone and the transformation of the country's only psychiatric hospital. In our last episode, we learned about three of the most decisive periods in Sierra Leone's history, the Atlantic slave trade, British colonialism, and the Civil War. But history isn't just a thing of the past. It impacts the way we live today. So we begin this episode with the question, how did this history influence how the Sierra Leone Psychiatric Teaching Hospital was built, and how is this history still present within its walls? To answer that question, I sat down with possibly the most authoritative figure on the topic in Sierra Leone. My name is Dr. Edward Nahim. I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I've been working for the Ministry of Health for the last 40 years. I'm still on contract and I'm working up till now. Dr. Edward Nahim was for a long time Sierra Leone's only psychiatrist. That's right, one psychiatrist for 7 million people. He began working at the Sierra Leone Psychiatric Teaching Hospital 40 years ago. And even now, in his supposed retirement, Dr. Nahim still sees patients there. Dr. Nahim knows basically all there is to know about the hospital through his decades of work there, but also through his own research about the facility's history. This is the first psychiatric hospital in all of black Africa, south of the Sahara. So as you can see, it's a very important hospital by the British then. It was meant for, you know, asylum that they brought from the United States, from England and so on. And they were treating patients from all of British West Africa then. So as you can see, it's a very important hospital. And it's the first hospital in Sierra Leone anyway. This is the very first hospital in Sierra Leone. That's right, very first hospital in all of Sierra Leone. Do you know who built this hospital? Well, it was built by the British then, as I said earlier. You know, because they were our colonizers and they were in charge of Sierra Leone then. And they built this hospital and all the nurses and doctors were all British. There was no black doctor working here during those days. All British. Until they left, they handed over to government, the Republic of Sierra Leone, then the Governor General and so on, before, you know, we took over. And when this hospital was first opened by the British, was it a psychiatric hospital at that point, or, or was it just a general hospital? No, it was not a psychiatric hospital. It was a hospital for asylum. You know, freed and recaptive slaves, when they were freed, they brought them to West Africa, to Sierra Leone, and then they kept them in this hospital. They were treating them here. In fact, the first name of this hospital was Kisi Asylum. They went to Kisi Mental Hospital, and now to Kisi Psychiatric Hospital, Serlin's Teaching Psychiatric Hospital. So as you can see, it has a very good history. He's a singular figure in Sierra Leone, who did work no one else was trained, let alone willing to do. And he did so, according to most people's memories, with great empathy and care. In short, Dr. Nahim is a household name in Sierra Leone. Dr. Nahim is also legendary in Sierra Leone. Uh, for the longest while, I think he was the only qualified um, uh, psychiatrist that we had in Sierra That's our friend Dr. Ishmael Rashid, African history scholar and Vassar College professor from last episode. Dr. Rashid was a student at Fora Bay College in Freetown when he met Dr. Nahim. When he wasn't at Kissy, 
Dr. Nahim ran the student health clinic. So from uh, essentially the 1980s that I got to know about uh, Dr. Naeem, all throughout the 1990s, throughout the Salon Civil uh, War, uh, Dr. Naeem really stood out as somebody who was very patriotic, somebody who, uh, in the midst of that, uh, during the Civil War, when people uh, with mental health were not a major focus uh, of health uh, practitioners in Sierra Leone, uh, Dr. Naeem uh, continued to sort of be focused on mental health issues and also trying to keep the hospital going under very difficult conditions. Difficult conditions is an understatement. During the Civil War, rebel soldiers attacked the hospital, destroying its structures, but initiating no contact with patients. Dr. Naheem, of course, was there through it all. The rebel war came to this hospital and burnt down all the places where the nurses lived. And this office where I was also, where I am right now, was burnt down. Yes, this office is a newly built office, as you can see for now. But they never went to the wards because they were afraid of patients. They thought that the patients, if you talk to them, you'll get mental illness, so they avoided them. So as you can see, they actually destroyed the hospital. And who, were, were any of the staff here working throughout that period that the rebels came and burned down the hospital, or did everyone flee? Well, most of the staff remained with the patients on the ward. And disguised themselves as patients. As I said earlier, the rebels were scared of patients because they thought if you talk to a patient, you will get mental illness. So the staff was in the ward with the patients and you are taking care of them, feeding them, giving them medicines and, you know, looking after them. And they, there was no problem with that. The Civil War left Kissy Mental Hospital in tatters. But then there were the everyday difficulties that existed as routine, regardless of what was happening just outside the hospital walls. Dr. Nahim just mentioned one, why rebel soldiers avoided patients at all costs, and how staff kept themselves safe when the war arrived at the hospital doors. As is true around the world, stigma against those living with mental health conditions has long persisted in Sierra Leone. Here's Dr. Rashid again, who grew up in Freetown. So Kisi, which is now part of urban metropolitan Freetown, uh, was just on the periphery of uh, Freetown. The city, when I was growing up, was from Town to Congo Cross. Uh, and that in itself tells a story about how the society viewed mental health. If people had mental illness in their family, it was stuff that they usually kept. People with mental health or mental illnesses were either kept separate in rooms, locked away from public view, or if the, the parents of the families couldn't take care of them, they were left to roam the street of Freetown uh, and were seen as people uh, with problems, uh, usually unkempt, uh, without much social support. Now, we want to make clear that mental health conditions can affect any and all of us, regardless of where we were born, where we live, or how much money we make. But history gives us a window into how mental health conditions can go unaddressed and deepen in severity over time. Centuries of colonial and economic exploitation paved the way for Sierra Leone Civil War, a war that left the country further financially devastated, with families living in extreme poverty. 
And that's combined with the theft, the active impoverishment the country continues to endure. For centuries, American and European powers have stolen Sierra Leonean resources for their own exclusive gain from human beings throughout the 19th century to diamonds today. And this has led to more than half of Sierra Leone's population living on less than $1.90 per day. And this poverty has taken a toll on mental health. The government doesn't have much money to spend on health care, and funding mental health is often forgotten in the face of scarce resources. Meanwhile, poverty exacerbates the suffering of those living with a mental health condition, often preventing them from access to care. Sierra Leoneans are fond of saying that Sierra Leone is a very wealthy country. Uh, yes, Sierra Leone is resource-rich, but in real terms, is Sierra Leone is a very poor country in terms of the available financial resources. What we've not been able to do is to convert uh, our human potential, is to convert uh, our resources uh, into resources that would be able to generate sufficient self-sustaining or sustaining wealth that we could use to invest in those crucial areas. So within the limited resources that we're able to generate on a yearly basis, we have had to make choices. We have had to make choices. So in that cruel um, choice game is mental health does not rise up uh, to an area which commands a lot of resources. Even when it's visible, it's not seen as an area where nationally or globally a lot of resources and money should go. From day one, the hospital that would become the Sierra Leone Psychiatric Teaching Hospital was in dire need of resources. For centuries, in the wake of slavery, throughout the colonial period, into independence and the Civil War, the facility lacked even the most basic of necessities, electricity, running water and plumbing, decent wards where patients lived and clinicians worked, a consistent food supply, and critically, the medications needed to treat mental health conditions. It was horrible. To say the least, it was horrible. That's Aneru Brahma, the matron, otherwise known as the head nurse at Sierra Leone Psychiatric Teaching Hospital. In the early 1990s, when Brahma was earning his nursing degree, he had to do a two-week rotation at the hospital. Do you remember, do you remember what it was like during that two-week period? Patients were shackled, windows were run down, doors were run down. Patients were given chambers to, 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 to ease themselves from. Patients will urinate openly because they have nowhere to urinate. Water was a problem. The doors, the place was not too good. It was awful. It was not fit for human accommodation, to say the least. Yes. So, but I, I just felt, ah. Let me just do my two or three weeks and then go. At least it's going to be part of my course requirement. They are going to tick the, the box that I came here. That was it then. I had no intention of coming back. Perhaps the most difficult part of working in the hospital were the shackles Brahma mentions. It was difficult. Patients were chained. Some patients would develop a sore legs. Their legs, would, because of the chains, would get swollen. And so medication was not enough. Without access to medication or adequate clinical support, patients could experience bursts of violence and prove dangerous to themselves, their fellow patients, and hospital staff. And that staff, too few in number and without the tools and medications necessary to care for acute mental illness, resorted to chaining patients to their beds. A cruel practice 
but one it would seem born out of necessity. They had few other options. Now, years later, the memory of these chains is painful to recall, though not nearly as painful as it was to use them. We live in a therapeutic environment. Even with the environment alone, makes you halfway feel better. The rest will just come, medication will come, food will come, but you come in an environment where you feel as if you are a slave, you are shackled, you, 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 you feel you've been condemned by your relative. You're going to be, even if they give you cups and cups of medication, you're going to be difficult to you. But when you come in an environment, very friendly, you, 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 it's, not, it's almost similar to your home. It's easy, from an outside perspective, to look at the crushing poverty of Sierra Leone and condemn the country for not doing more to unchain patients. It's common to think, with a little hard work, commitment, and political will, the injustices that exist in poor communities would just perish. This bootstrap narrative falls short on even the most cursory investigation. In the story of Sierra Leone, or at least in this one hospital, history repeats itself or versions of itself anyway. Shackles have been a common theme, mostly used to subjugate the population, and in the case of the hospital, as a means of last resort. So how does this cycle get broken? How does the hospital become literally and figuratively unchained? Join us next week to hear from more hospital staff who've witnessed the hospital's transformation and undergone their own. Well, I thought that I must proceed because that is my job. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, I will try my level best. I decided to come back. Continue to learn and explore more stories from Sierra Leone and PIH by visiting PIH.org. Follow Unchain on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or find us on YouTube under Partners in Health. Look for us at Partners in Health on Instagram or PIH on Twitter and DM us with your comments or questions. Thank you for listening to Unchain. We'll meet you here next week.